Welcome to the Bolt from the Blue podcast on this uh, very uh, strange morning for me, evening for the guys there in um, in the UK, because um, obviously the, the news about Maradona has just come up on my screen. I had no idea, apparently, obviously, because I've, I've you know basically just woken up. Everyone is already aware of this um, devastating news. That's not really what we're here to talk about, though, but... Um, yeah, it does give you pause. We're here to talk about Manchester City against Olympiacos and also about the defeat against Tottenham. I'm sure the two guys that I have with me have got uh, things to say about that. Let's introduce them because, first of all, we have from City Fan TV, Ray. Ray, how are you doing? Um, I'm all right, Mike. A little bit tired, but uh, doing all right after. I'll, I'll give you a little, let you into a little secret. We won tonight, so I feel just that little bit better. <laughs> okay, and uh, we've also got uh, press which blew Colin Savage as well. Colin, how have you been doing? Good, good. I'm say it's been a long, I've been a long day today. I was literally in one meeting from um, nine o'clock till half five, with an with about half an hour's break. Wow, no, a bit longer than that. Wow, wow. I'm glad I don't That's, have to go know, to many meetings. Life at the top. <laughs> well, was that a Zoom meeting? So presumably you could um, turn on your picture, your your icon, and go and have a cup of tea while they're doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, here we go, guys. Um, well, uh, before we get into the city games, um, Ray Maradona, give us your thoughts. Oh, he's he's one of the best players. Uh, I th- I would suggest of all time. He was a, like a magnet to us uh, as kids growing up in the. Um, early 80s you know, he made you want to watch football games you know when he was playing world cup or whatever you wanted to watch you know you you count some people say they counted the days down until they could watch maradona play obviously it was a different era you know there wasn't as much football uh, and it was special watching him play and he was just an awesome talent whether he was playing at, at napoli a couple of series he dragged them to uh, or whether he was playing for Argentina and yeah, he, he dragged Argentina kicking and screaming to a World Cup final and a World Cup final win. Uh, he, he was just an awesome talent. And at the time, he was probably the best player I'd ever seen. Uh, I was just um, too young for Pele. Pele was, uh, I think, playing at New York Cosmos when I was getting into football. So I'd, I'd missed the, his heyday. But Maradona, you know, he'll stand the test of time amongst uh, the pantheon of greats that are out there. Like, you, know, you can throw... Any, any name you want, and Maradona will compare very, very favourably to any name you want to mention. And I believe, Ray, he would be the ex-father-in-law of Aguero, because I think that his yep. Aguero's uh, ex-wife, I think, yes. um, and was uh, w- would have been, obviously, Maradona was her father. I think it was uh, Giannina Maradona. Mm. Colin, um, got some memories there? Well, yeah. I mean, as uh, being English, of course, mainly bad ones. Yeah, and the God. That, that, well, the hand of God, that other goal he scored was just sublime, wasn't it? You could just only, you know, you could forgive him the handball for that. And you've got to say, Peter Shilton should have done better. I don't uh, forgive him the handball. I don't forgive him that. <laughs> but, but, I mean, that other goal he scored where he just slalomed past most of it was just incredible. And it was one of those, you, you think of someone like Carlos Tevez, those wonderful, bullish, small, well-built, superbly agile, because he had a low centre of gravity. Very aggressive in the nice sense of the word player who could do almost anything with the ball at his feet. So, yeah, a sad loss to football. And um, but I think um, his health problems, which have been well documented for a while, were, I think, largely of his own making, weren't they? I think, unfortunately, yeah, by coincidence, it's the same date on which George Best died 15 years ago. Another man who 
hastened his own demise. But um, you know, two great footballers mm-hmm. uh, who, who no, no matter what side you're on, you couldn't help but admire. Yeah, it's a very very sad day for all of those people who grew up admiring Mar- Maradona. And, and it seems weird to skip from that news onto what we're going to talk about next, which was um, a largely uneventful Olympiacos nil Manchester City won. But that's what we're here to talk about primarily. So Ray, City now very, very, sitting pretty, sitting very, very mm. safe in the in the Champions League. Uh, what, was, what were your thoughts? My, my thoughts were best summed up by uh, a little gif I saw on, on Twitter. It was uh, basically... Uh, it, it said City fans at the end of the game, and it was bas- a, a guy in a lecture asleep, and some people start making noise, clapping or whatever, and he gets up and starts clapping as well. And it was like that. It was a bit of a. Uh, I'll be honest, I was bored in in that first half. It was just the same old, same old uh, from us. Uh, well on top, uh, opposition having nothing basically. Um, we created some. Should have scored more. Uh, I think we should have got. You know, we won one nil. We should have got at least three. I think. Um, just making it a little bit more difficult for ourselves. Olympiacos, once again, didn't offer that much at all. Uh, I was a bit disappointed with them in some respects. I understand uh, uh, on one hand that they had about nine or ten players out. Uh, they had no striker, no main striker. They had to use a false nine. It was, it was difficult for them. But I was hoping that they'd try something because if they want to get through this group, getting a point off City could have been crucial. In, in that tag of, of getting to the knockout stages of the Champions League. And um, now all their eggs are in um, the basket of winning their next two games uh, by sufficient uh, goals to, to qualify. But it was, as I said, it was an early kickoff as well. So, you know, it, it was a bit strange in, in everything. And it was not so long after we'd heard about Maradona. And the game was a bit, for me anyway, a little bit boring and subdued. Yeah, Colin Savage, it was probably a decent time to play City, uh, given the sort of form they're in. I actually thought uh, the first half was a bit tedious and I was nodding off, I must admit. Um, I haven't had a, quite a long day, but I um, actually thought in the second half, we actually looked back close to our best, or what we know City can be. Look, we were moving the ball quickly, decisively. You know, right, we we could, should have scored more. But um, I saw grounds for optimism. I mean, uh, obviously, Aguero and Fernandinho both came on. So I think we uh, Mendy was uh, started and got through uh, most of the game. So uh, I think it's only Nathan Ake, you know, of the first-team squad, isn't it, who's um, injured? So um, for cautious optimism, I think, or I hope, anyway. We're guaranteed a place <laughs> in the last 16. And uh, the point in Porto, well, I think any or um, a win in Marseille, having you know not been um, in the top seeds. Uh, Ray, quite strange name on the team sheet. A certain fellow called John Stones didn't have an awful lot to do, but um, deserves comment, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think overall, um, you know, I'm not going to criticise too much uh, the, uh, the players. I think Stones looked a bit rusty. I think he had, uh, if I'm right, four misplaced passes in the first half. Uh, I was a bit disappointed. Uh, because I, uh, you know, it's, he set such high standards a few years ago, John Stones. Um, but I'll put that down to, to rustiness coming back. Um, I want to see him play. I want to see him play more because um, he's a top talent and he's just gone off the boil in the last uh, season, season and a half. You've got to remember that he was the mainstay, I think, in a Centurion season with uh, Nicholas Otamendi, or at least the start of the season and the formidable season. And I'll remind you again that Vincent Company thought his... his uh, Days were numbered, uh, Vincent's days were numbered because Stones and Laporte were the way forward uh, and he held him in such high esteem and with such high regard. Um, so I don't want to cast John Stones to one side. I want to give him the opportunity, the chance um, to to redeem himself and show us what a top-class um, player he is. And, you know, you saw glimpses of it today, the way he effortlessly carries the ball through uh, into the midfield when uh, the gaps open and... And some of his passing is, is, is still good. And generally, he controlled what he needed to control um, in that game. As, although, as I said, um, I don't think Olympiakos offered that much. But, um, you know, it's, it's good to see him back. He just needs game time under his belt. It's going to be hard to get at City right now with Diaz and Laporte. But uh, I, ho- I hope he gets a few more games, uh, a few more minutes under his belt and shows us what he's uh, truly capable of. 
Yeah, Colin, a rare moment of quality, I guess you could say, in the uh, the first half was um, the goal from Foden and the assist um, from Sterling. What did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, it was a fairly, what regarded as a fairly standard City goal, wasn't it? Um, Sterling pulled the ball back for Foden, who um, poked the ball in the back of the net. Uh, the one thing I liked was that um, you know previously up to tonight's game we we'd look very shot shy so players just you know refusing to take shots I mean we've we looked like a team of David Silvers for a while but uh, I noticed that Foden in, in the early stage of the game I think he had three shots uh, so so you know being a bit more direct and of course he got his reward so um, yeah so it was, it was that fairly standard City goal where we get the ball kind of <coughs> excuse me. Remember it right, near the byline, uh, and and just pull it back to someone waiting in in or around the penalty spot. So, um, yeah, quite straightforward yeah. goal. Ray, nice little statistic here. Uh, Phil Foden has got ten goals in all competitions in twenty twenty, excluding penalties. That's the most by any Premier League midfielder this calendar year. How did you think that he? Um, what what sort of a showing do you think that he gave of himself? I think generally it was all right. I mean, I think. Uh, we have to say that Raheem Sterling backheeled the, the ball rather than passed it to to Foden, um, and uh, you know so was, and Foden hit, hit, struck it well. Um, and as, as Colin said, he had three shots. Uh, he had a, a rasping shot at the, uh, the near post where he he, he sh- really wouldn't shouldn't be scoring from there, and the goalie pushed it to one side. Um, so I think he had a, a, another decent game. He, uh, I've said it. Most of the times Foden plays, he shows that he deserves to be at this level. He belongs uh, at the top table. Um, and I'm always disappointed when he doesn't start games. Now, not simply not because he's a he's a local lad. I put that, I try and put my uh, you know blue tinted local specs to one side because I want City to win. And if if that means Phil Foden doesn't play because we've got better players, then so be it. But uh, I'm I'm of the opinion that. You know, more and more he should be starting games. I was disappointed, and we'll come to the Spurs game that he didn't start there. But I think generally he's putting in 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 decent perform. He's putting in decent performances. He's got plenty of goals um, this 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 calendar year. He's, he's won lots of games at City. Another stat was I thought this was one you're going to mention that uh, City have never lost when Phil Foden scored. That was another uh, peculiar little stat. I will throw the caveat in that City haven't lost many games since uh, Phil Ford has been a uh, Man City player in the last three seasons. And then you include this one as well. City have only lost 25 games out of almost 200 games. So uh, there's not many defeats uh, regardless. So I'm not sure how great that stat is. But look, you know, the kid um, the kid wants to score. He works hard. Uh, he contributes. He, he's, never, he's never hiding. Uh, he always wants the ball. He always wants uh, to do something and make some magic happen. So... I want to see him start more and more. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Colin, I guess a lot of City fans were hoping for something of a, I'm not going to say a statement win, but at least a statement performance. And it was very, very comfortable. Olympiacos, I think, as Ray mentioned earlier, they were offering very, very little. In fact, I think their two shots in the direction of the goal came in the closing minutes of the game. But um, we are in desperately poor form, uh, guys. So... 13th in the Premier League, eight points behind uh, Spurs, although we do have a game in hand. The worst start since uh, 2008. It's not a particularly exciting time, Colin, to be a Man City supporter, is it? Well, uh, you know, it's all relative, isn't it? We've had worse times. Um, But yeah, it's not, we're not at our best, quite clearly. Um, We're still, you know, we've still got a chance. I mean, if you look at the table, yeah, we're 13th. uh, We've still got a game in hand. Which is against Villa, who have fallen back a bit. So, uh, and it's it's at home, isn't it? So, I think you would hope to take uh, three points from that game, which would put us up in. uh, Let me have a look. Fifteen. So, just outside the top six, just behind Everton, up with well, up with Villa, um, which leaves us, you know, five points off Spurs and Liverpool at the top. Now, Spurs not too bothered about, although I think we'll, we'll talk about them in a minute. You know. Chelsea seem to be doing well. Obviously, Liverpool are always going to be a threat. You know, five points after um, nine games is a is a lot to make. It's well, you know, it, no, it's not a lot to make up, but you can't afford to let it get that much bigger. I think. 
um, because both you know all those three teams at the top, Liverpool, Spurs, and Chelsea, all look to be in pretty decent form. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it it is uh, very comfortable for us in in the Champions League. That is true. Uh, we've won our opening four games in a Champions League campaign. campaign. Uh, the opening four games for the second time um, also did it in 2017-2018 when, when we won uh, the first five. But um, yeah, Ray, I mean, Colin's response to that last question, a, a little bit more positive than, than I'm feeling at the moment. Um, the game against Tottenham, the, the previous one, obviously was very, very dispiriting, wasn't it? Because it, We've seen it so many times before, and that's for Ray. Uh, Ray? <laughs> Has he disappeared then? He's still there. I can't hear him. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe you could... Um, you could... I mean, yeah, it was, it, you know, it was a disappointing game, but, you know, it was entirely predictable the way it, would, it, the way it played out because almost Guardiola and Mourinho in, in many ways were perfect fit for each other's styles, so... You know, you've got Guardiola who believes that possession is key, and that if you um, if you've got the ball, the opposition can't do anything with it. Then you've got uh, Mourinho who believes that possession just leads to mistakes. So give the other team the ball, let them do, you know, let them um, lose it, and then capitalize on it. And I think in many ways, Mourinho's got um, the perfect team for him. You know, when you look at that team that started. There was Ndombele, Sissoko and um, Hoiberg in midfield, who you'd say um, none of those are, I would say, out-and-out attacking midfielders, you know, in, in the um, in the mould of, say, someone like Kevin De Bruyne or Lucas Moura or Christian Eriksen, who, you know, used to be at Spurs. So all three are largely, I would say, um, either out-and-out or largely defensive. And that's the way it worked out, you know. Uh, Mourinho was quite happy to sit back and and let us have the ball, and we were happy to have the ball. Uh, but and it was always going to be a question of who scored the goals, and uh, unfortunately, it was Spurs. Mm-hmm. They've also got this um, newly converted uh, trick artista called uh, called uh, Harry Kane. Um, he was quite pivotal in that result, uh, Ray. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, uh, he. Um... He's been pivotal to them uh, their full season here, uh, mainly Harry Kane and Son, and he's been uh, you know near the top of his game for a few years. I think this season he just seems to be even better. He's doing everything that you'd want from a striker, scoring tons of goals. He's creating tons of goals. He's creating lots of big chances. He's putting in a defensive shift as well. You know, um, he, he's the kind of player you <laughs> dare I say it, you'd want at City. That ain't, isn't ever going to happen. Uh, but he's playing really well. He's, he's at the top of his game, and so is uh, Hyung Min Son. Um, but uh, you know, both of them are doing uh, wonders this season. If one isn't scoring, the other is, or both of them are assisting. Um, you know, and if anybody plays fantasy football, you've got to have these guys in your team. It doesn't really help, um, does it, though, Ray? A point that you made when one of our defenders chases oh. um, chases oh. into midfield and leaves a huge gap behind him. I, I'm absolutely livid, you know. Uh, I've calmed down since um, uh, Saturday. Was it Saturday evening? I was on a, a, one of our live shows, and it was just um, a spitting blood and thunder. Me, I was. It was uh, extremely disappointed because I had done um, two previews with Tottenham fans about this game, and we all talked about Harry Kane going into midfield and the risk that he goes into midfield and Son goes up front. Uh, of the switch, um, and we had to be aware of that, and we knew Son's pace, and, and this is where the danger was. And you can, people can look, and people have tried to blame Bernardo Silva for not for getting on the wrong side of Ndombele, or blame Cancelo for starting to move out wide to go to Oria when the danger was on the inside. And very few people have, have had a go uh, or said much uh, about Emery Laporte. Now, I don't understand... You know, whether it's something Pep uh, or the coaches have said, you know, you've got to stick with Kane, follow him through. Uh, or it just it was a lapse of judgment because there is, in, in my, you know, better football judges than me will tell you that the further a, a player is away from the goal, I really do believe the less of a danger they are. And if a player's near the halfway line, generally, I don't think they're in a dangerous position. So when Endon Burley got the ball, 
He was near the halfway line, not dangerous. Okay, people can argue that Bernardo let him make a pass, yes, but he was near the halfway line. We had so many top quality players um, to to deal with this, and Kane ran into the uh, into midfield towards the halfway line, and Laporte went with him, and he went with him. Why he's chasing him towards the halfway line, I still do not know. And what he did was he left a huge gap behind him. He didn't tell Diaz that he was uh, going there. So for, uh, and asked Diaz to, to cover him. And he'd left a, a huge hole. And Son just walked into that hole. Another mistake, obviously, Cancelo. He started going out towards Oria, who was on the right wing near the touchline. There's no danger there. Absolutely no danger. Um, and once he'd made that first movement that way, he's, he was wrong-footed when uh, Son came across him and took up the space left or vacated by Laporte. And Dumbele passes the ball through to Son. And the catalogue of errors continue. Cancelo's trying to get back to Son, and Edison comes charging out way too far, and Son just um, has to knock the ball under his body, and it goes in. Now, if Edison has come a yard or two off his line, and that's it, narrowed the angles a little bit, Son would have had to score a goal instead of just rolling it under Edison's body. So there's lots of little errors, but for me, the biggest one was Laporte moving out. If Laporte stays where he is, um, and let's Kane run to the halfway line. As I said, no danger there. Ndombele can't put that ball through to Son because uh, Laporte's next to him. And then Ndombele's other options probably would be either pass it to Kane because Kane's in midfield or put it out wide right to Aurea. No danger. So the, usually the danger is in the middle of the park where the opposition players are uh, and not at the halfway line. So I'd love to know the reasoning behind Laporte moving out and, and chasing Kane into midfield. But for me, it was a calamitous goal. It was it was, it was was a really poor goal to concede. I, I mean, you, you, you've said everything I would have said, Ray. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, and, and I'll add to that, when the goal that was disallowed a few minutes later, yeah. um, I, I, I made notes on that. Um, so you've got uh, Bergwijn, I think, out on the left. And... Um, he, he got uh, Orient played that crossfield pass, yeah. and, and you think there's, there's not much danger because at that point you've got um, Laporte has got Son covered and Diaz has, has got Kane covered. So um, Cal Walker's about ten yards behind Bergwijn, uh, and Laporte goes to Harry Kane, leaving Son completely unmarked again um, because Cancelo was behind him. And then when uh, the the ball comes to Bergwijn, uh, sorry, the ball comes. Uh, Ball comes to Son, uh, and and Laporte turns to go to I think it's Son, leaving Kane on Mark. But Laporte yeah. has no chance of getting getting to Son to stop him. So Laporte's just wandering around the penalty area like a drunk. And you know where where is this Rolls Royce of a player yeah. that we've seen? And, and the other thing it showed up uh, the first goal and that fortunately we we got away with that one because Kane was offside. Um, Defensive organisation, where is it? And I've said this before. You know, you see teams come at us, and everyone loses their heads. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's no one saying you do this, you do that, you stay with him, I'll pick him up. Everyone just like runs around like a headless chicken, and we see it time and time and time mm. again. It's like they've got brains made out of blancmange because you know Laporte, like you talk, you talk about this. You know, um, Rolls Royce defenders, or you know, Diaz and Laporte are supposed to be top class, but I don't think Laporte is um, communicating because for the first goal, he said nothing to Diaz. He just yeah. ran out. He left everybody else in the lurch. You know, um, and for this one, Walker was poor as well. I think I think he was too easily sidestepped. That's that's what I've written in my notes. And we were, you're right, Colin. We were so lucky because you know, Kane was unmarked. He had no reason to be offside. No reason whatsoever. And it was really poor from Kane that he he, he allowed himself to drift offside because, yeah. you know, they ripped through us. And, and, and Gabriel Jesus standard, wasn't it? <laughs> He's been watching too much of Gabby J. But, but the point, point is, and, and the happy clappers, you know, all the, some people are saying, oh, you know, we were, we were, the sad thing is, we were, I thought the first half, we were really, really good. We were yeah. moving quickly. We were uh, quite creative. We're putting them under a lot of pressure. But once again, our team has two or three opportunities and they rip us to shreds. And Spurs, I mean, I've, I've got them three times within 25 minutes. I've written Spurs slice through City after a Cancelo mistake. Whenever we make a mistake, 
teams are just charging. Uh, good quality teams are charging through us. You know, why do we get away with games against people like Marseille and Olympiacos and look, uh, hey, hey, we look uh, quite good. And in Europe, people are saying, oh, City are back. The happy clappers are saying City are back. Um, well, actually, look at the opposition. Spurs are a decent opposition and they took us to the cleaners. Um, you know, you look- and you can, you, can, you can guarantee that Mourinho would have coached his defenders yeah. how to defend in that situation. And they did defend. They defended really well yes. overall in the game. You know, we had obviously we we were gonna have some half chances, but generally in that game they defended like it meant something. That their lives were on the line. You know, uh, I remember there's one early one where Toby Alderweire after eight minutes um, he tackled. Um, I think it was Con- uh, was it Jesus or Concello had got through At last second. He got tackling. They, you know, and I, I, it's, it's amazing to see other teams' defenders who aren't as heralded as ours playing stellar games and our guys are it's all about, Yeah, it's about organisation, isn't it? Yeah. People taking responsibility, people being organised. And, and that's, yeah, we said it time and time again. I've said it time and time again. That's something we never seem to demonstrate. It's very, very interesting, guys, when you look at that, the, the, um, the uh, player ratings on the BBC after the game. Obviously, Spurs up in the uh, sevens and eights with, I think, Kane leading it. But um, the highest mark... Yeah, Kevin De Bruyne, wasn't we it? Got 4.7. 4.72, I think it was. Yeah, I, I, I never bother with that because it's not a, 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 a proper judge. Uh, you know, anybody with a grudge can uh, uh, say what they like because uh, I think that was harsh on uh, someone like Cancelo. Um, I thought he had a decent game. I think I thought he was one of our most uh, creative uh, players on the pitch. So I think I think you know the BBC. Come on, Mike. Uh, they, they're not the best judge for player ratings when it's uh, when anybody's allowed to just come on and, and give the player ratings. I mean, come on, for God's sake. Whenever a Liverpool player is there, I'm giving ones and twos. So. Um, even if Liverpool are winning 5-0 I'm still giving ones and two so anybody else can do the same for City <laughs> well yeah it's it's absolutely true I mean Cancelo is uh, quietly uh, becoming your, your go-to left back anyone else um, Colin that comes out of this particular game with any great distinction uh, I don't think so to be honest um, mm. you know, so, uh, Kevin De Bruyne I think was uh, Cancelo with the best of a pretty poor, poor bunt I mean, kind of De Bruyne looked heavy-legged as well. I mean, um, you know, that, that second goal, you know, Kevin De Bruyne has been on for 65 minutes. Uh, Lo Celso has just come on and he left Kevin De Bruyne in his wake. Well, Kevin um, didn't, when he Kevin didn't see him. I, I don't think Kevin saw him until it was too late. Kevin was just going to do his normal jog jog back. Yeah. And Lo Celso ran past him. Kevin didn't know he was there. He, you know, Kevin had about four, probably four or five yards on him at uh, the starting, uh, yeah, starting yeah. position. But but again, it's about, it's about, you know, players being aware, players being organised, players being drilled to pick runners up. Um, you know, you, you think back to Sami Nasri in the QPR game, you know, when um, uh, Jamie Mackie scored the, the mm. uh, QPR's second goal, who again wasn't aware of Mackie making the run and was about 10 yards behind him. And um, but, but I think, it, you know, I think Kevin, Kevin De Bruyne at that point was physically and mentally shattered. Yeah. I, you know, I'll give him that excuse. But even he's not, you know, he was nowhere near his best. And I don't think he quite has been for a while. Um, but, you know, many of his passes were going astray. I mean, he, I think I made a joke about his his main um, objective seems to win, seem to seem to be to win corners in that first <laughs> game. You know, not, not actually create something. There's one great ball in for, well, the, the disallowed goal, our disallowed goal. Uh, that was a great ball in. But, um, you know, we, we aren't... Um, we aren't seeing enough of that. No, I, we have high. We set the bar high for Kevin De Bruyne, don't we? I mean, uh, he's probably the best midfield player in Europe at the moment. So you know, any anything that falls below a ten out of ten, nine out of ten for him is poor, uh, I guess, by his standard. But you know, he's he's been he's been pulling fives and sixes recently for me. Yeah, yeah. You got to. I've got to mention Edison again because once again he came charging out of his goal. And all the player had to do was pass the ball uh, under him or around him, and it's a goal rather than come a yard or two off your line and make him score. I, I find that extremely disappointing. You know, it's weird, but you know, maybe it's sometimes a bit harsh because the, the number of times Edison does come out early and saves us by 
by, by coming out early. So it is a risk. It's a big risk to come out early. And when you get it wrong, you know, we saw with Son, Son just had to place it under his body rather than score a goal. And the same with Lo Celso. Yeah. I think Lo Celso, you know, even though, even though he'd just come on the pitch, he'd run a, done a 17-yard run. So he, his legs would have started to tire. Uh, and I would have much preferred him having to have a proper shot to beat Edison than just roll it past him. Uh, so well, that's well, they do say strikers aim between the um, keeper's legs because they know that's a weak, a weak spot. Not literally between, you know, uh, literally between the legs, not figuratively yeah. between the legs, of course, what I meant, what I meant to say. Um, I read something about this, and the other weak spot is um, chest level. So, um, you know, their arms would normally be up. If you put it down about kind of um, rib cage, bottom of the rib, rib cage level, goalkeepers struggle to adapt to that. Mm-hmm. So, so Rick- you know, they, they pick, both guys pick the spot, but Ed- yeah. Edison made it very easy for yeah. them. Ray, controversial uh, question here, because obviously between uh, this pod and the last one, we got the news that um, uh, Pep Guardiola signed a new two-year contract. And at the time, um, I would say that the majority of City fans were quite celebratory. Um, after the defeat against Tottenham, <laughs> then the things went back the other way. And we thought, oh, my gosh, we're locked into this for the next two years. What's your view? Well, we're not locked into it. Uh, I mean... Uh, I, I've said, you know, obviously we talked about Pep's situation for, for for many many months now because we've until something was um, decided, you know, we just don't know. But I I, I um, remind you of uh, an ex City manager, Manuel Pellegrini. He signed a contract extension for one year. We all knew he wasn't going to stay because Pep was coming, but he signed that one year contract extension to allay everybody's fears and let the players know that he was, you know, going to be around. Um, but the fans, we all knew that Pep was coming. And uh, this could easily be exactly the same. It could easily be exactly the same. Pep says, I'm signing whatever he signed, a, a one year with the option of another or two. Uh, I've not even looked into that. But he could just, in six months' time, say, well, you know, I'm not doing well enough. I don't deserve it. I'm off. And mm-hmm. there's nothing we can do. Or we can turn around and say, Pep, you know, we've not even made top four. We got knocked out in the round of uh, 16 in the Champions League. We, we, you know, we failed at the quarter, um, quarterfinals of the Carabao Cup and didn't get past the third round of the FA Cup. You're gone. So, you know, contracts mean, mean nothing. It gives you a little bit of uh, reassurance, you know, that the players will probably think, you know, as I've said many times, not everybody will like Pep. They won't like his methods or, what, or whatever. And there'll be one or two players, at least, who were thinking, Pep's gone at the end of the season. I might not, you know, I, I'll, I'll outlast him. I've got a five-year contract or three years after my contract. I'll outlast Pep and I'll wait and, and put the, me effort in for the new guy. I'm not in his good books for whatever reason. I'm not in his favour. So why should I bust a go? I'll wait for the next guy. Keep drawing me wages and I'll put the effort in. Then now that Pep's going to be sticking around, those players... I don't think there's many, they'll either have to say, well, I'm going to have to book up my ideas if I want to play, or I'm going to have to leave at the end of the summer or in January or whenever. So it means now, you know, on one hand, it's good to have Pep, but it's it's difficult to know where he is on the cycle because the first season with us, it was a poor season. We started off like a house on fire and then it just collapsed like a house of cards. Um, and we were lucky to make, you know, um, Champions League at, at the end of the day. And we were worried. And then suddenly, you know, what was going to happen the following season? He spends a bit of money and bang, we, you know, Centurions. Next season, bang, we're um, uh, formidables. And so now we're on the down downside. And we've is, and the question we've got to ask ourselves, is the hill just continuously going to go down? Because we are worse than last season. There's no question about it. Even last season where we, you know, we weren't at our best. We struggled, especially in the first uh, six months, to win three games on the bounce or more than three games on the bounce. Uh, we were still scoring lots of goals, creating lots of chances. This season, we are worse. So are we still on the slide? Is there ever going to be an upside? Is Pep going to, uh, Is there a valley somewhere and he's going to start to rise again? We don't know. You know, uh, people are, you know, I, I read obviously a lot on social media, people are expecting Pep. They saw it'll be a couple of games, we'll be back. Well, you know, I, I haven't seen anything to show that we'll be back. Last season, I called it after eight games. I said, we're not going to win the league. Uh, because Liverpool were eight points clear. And I said two important things have got to happen. Liverpool have got to um, step off the gas and they don't look like doing that. And we've got to, from somewhere, have a, a massive improvement to even get near them. This season, although the standard is lower at the top of the table, 
we're further down. And after eight games, I'm not calling it yet because we've got that uh, fantastic game in hand, which doesn't necessarily mean we're going to get three points. But we've got that game in hand. We've still got a chance. But you've now got the top of the table. Spurs, who, even if we say they're going to bottle it again, they look like they're going to be there for a decent amount of time. We'll know in the next four or five games. I think they've got Chelsea and Liverpool to play. So we'll find out a bit more about Spurs. Chelsea suddenly uh, are looking pretty good. Uh, they scored a lot of goals. They seem to be showing up their defence. And Liverpool will never you know, um, uh, drop down. They're going to be up there all season long. So now you've got three teams. And it's, you know, it's not as if you're chasing one team and then you hope that they drop back. There are three teams, and now you need all three teams to drop a little bit and for us to do fantastically well. And my final point is going to be this. We have 30 league games to go this season. 30 league games. If we win every single game for the rest of the season, we will get 102 points. All how <laughs> mighty have fallen because we got 100 points through, uh, two, uh, just two, two years ago. We got 98 points the season before last. And the most we can get if we win 30 games on the bounce is 102 so for me, I've, I've got concerns because I don't see that improvement that we need to see for us to challenge in the Premier League. Forget about the Champions League because you know, if we can't even do it in the Premier League, the, we're going to need an enormous amount of luck to progress and win the Champions League. Mm. That's a particular uh, prospect and stat that I had. Uh, I seriously was not expecting to emerge in this podcast. But uh, anyway, uh, one of the most uh, frustrating things, uh, Colin Savage, is two particular players that are beginning to uh, get on people's nerves. And one is <laughs> Bernardo Silva. The other is Mares, who can really, um, you know, dig it out when they're playing for their country. But for City, I don't know. Bar- Bernardo has basically fallen off a cliff and Mahrez is deeply, deeply frustrating. Um, <clears throat> what do you think? Should these guys not be sitting on the bench? Well, it's a difficult one. I think um, I, I quipped about Bernardo Silva on um, Saturday that um, uh, Bernardo Silva shows his total versatility. But uh, when having achieved nothing on the left, he moved over to the right and achieved nothing there as well. <laughs> Um, yeah, he's very frustrating. You know, we've not we've not seen the best of him probably since that Mendy incident, have we? Um, and it's so frustrating because we know what he can do. You know, he's so energetic. He, uh, um, you know, he he's direct. He, he'll have a shot, but we've just not seen that from him. And, and I just don't know um, what it is. I mean, Mares, we all know about. Um, you know, at the risk of Algeria declaring war on us, he isn't. You know, I, I've been a supporter of Mares. I've always said there's a player there, but he is deeply, deeply frustrating at the moment. And and he's just not producing the goods. Um, simple as that. And there was a couple of incidents in the Spurs game that, that kind of summed him up, really. And the first one were, was he actually went outside a player um, towards the byline and then just rolled the ball out of play. Uh, for player with his technique, because he, he's got staggeringly good technique. Um that was just incredible. And then, of course, he was the one who uh, gave the sloppy pass for the second Spurs goal uh, when, when you know he had two players to pass to and he passed it between the two of them. And, um, you know, you, you just wonder if someone if someone like Messi comes um, and we have to sacrifice someone to make way for the, for the squad. Um, I, I'd have said Mahrez was head and shoulders my top choice, but I now, you know, think maybe... If we needed to sell someone, Bernardo Silva might be the man to sell. Um, I, I hope, you know, I, I would love both of them to find the form we know they're capable of. I mean, we, we saw Mahrez, you know, in the title winning game at Brighton a couple of seasons ago. He was just imperious. Sorry, He was a player whose, whose confidence was, was brimful after a difficult start. But it's always difficult coming into a pep team. But, uh, you know, I'm beginning to wonder what, he doesn't just doesn't fit our style, does he? He doesn't. He does, he's not offering us anything. He is. He's not offering us anything. And I mean, I've. I, I mean, I can just you know, I don't make too many notes. Um, but I've written Mahrez greedy. That's the third time I think in four games, Colin. He's done something like that. He's he, yeah. he's taken a man on the on the byline. He's taken him where there's no space. It's an awesome piece of skill. But then you've got to do something with it. And you know, I saw and was it the um one of the European games he did that. I think he did the same in a league game, maybe against West Ham. Um, he's done exactly the same. He's taken it past somebody, and instead of putting the cross in, 
he's tried to, you know, take it, uh, and he's ended up taking it out. And there's another game he took it past, I think it's the West Ham one, where he took it past his man, um, and then he took an extra touch. He, he dilly-dallied on, uh, dilly on the ball, and another defender came in and blocked the cross. So he's, he's too often, I think he's trying to do too much uh, and look too good. And that last game in the, in the Champions League, when he was actually passing the ball, um, we were commending him, uh, and he had a good game because instead of getting the ball and, and going down blind alleys, he was passing it very, very quickly. But I, I just go through my notes, 46 minutes, Mares greedy again on a City break. And I've written Mares and, and Bernard offering little, 45 minutes, because that was it. Sorry, that was an injury time in the first half. Start of the second half, Mares gets the ball and does nothing except lose it to Dyer. You know, he tries to take Dyer on, Dyer uh, makes a mug of him. And I, I can look down here, 59 minutes, Mares messes up again. KDB doesn't pass to him. Why would you? Um, 62 minutes, crawl, poor cross from Mares, overhits cross again. Um, 68 minutes, Mares, poor cross again. And it was just time and time again. You know, I, I'm sorry, I was watching um, game, a game today uh, and um, some of the Champions League games and there was an ordinary player for, uh, I can't remember which, which team it was, and I thought he's doing more than Mares, but he, he's not even worth 10 million quid. You know, he's done a couple of step overs, uh, drags the ball back and crosses with his left foot. There's nothing different to what Maris is doing. Maris is not offering us enough. And, you know, um, I think his time has come and his time has gone. I said at the start of the season, I think he could, unless he really ups his game, he'll be pushed down the ranks by uh, Ferran Torres. And I think that's already happening. And if you look at the two of them, most City fans would ask, uh, would want Ferran Torres to start rather than Riyad Maris. And my worry is. I can see him starting against Burnley. He'll have one decent game or have one decent move in four games um, and he'll just keep on plodding away like that. I've got this feeling that Pep's going to pick him on on Saturday, which uh, concerns me because right now, I want to pick the players who are doing well. Ferran Torres is doing well. Uh, Phil Foden's doing well. Uh, Gabriel Jesus is working hard. You can't uh, deny him his opportunity. So I don't see where Mahrez fits in this team. And if Messi comes... Um, uh, you know, he, he goes further down the pecking order. And if we put Concello on the right hand side instead of Walker, Walker will do a better job on the w- right wing than Riyad Mahrez. There's no question about that. So, you know, where does he fit into this team? Nowhere. Mm-hmm. I read something uh, very interesting um, from Guillaume Balage, and uh, he was uh, basically adding his tuppence worth into the uh, the whole question of whether following uh, Pep's uh, contract extension that Messi would come. But that wasn't really so much the interesting thing because Balagues uh, argued that one of the reasons why Pep signed uh, two years instead of the, the token one that uh, Ray alluded to was that um, Pep has never had to rebuild a team. And uh, Balague said that at Manchester City, um, pretty much everyone is transferable about f- except five or six players. I did my own little count, and it's more like nine or ten that you would consider um, not sellable. But um, does it give you any sort of crum- crumbs of comfort and, and, and optimism that, that that might be Pep's part of Pep's remit to, to ship a, a bunch of players out and bring new players in in the, in the summer, Colin? Well, I hope so. Um, I hope Pep isn't staying just to tinker around the edges. Uh, and I think um, my my view on the contract extension was I was questioning whether it was the right thing to do, um, but only on the grounds that you know, does Pep can Pep revitalise the squad? It's not just a question of bringing players in; it's a question of motivating the players you've got. You look at Bernardo Silva. We know he's not a bad player. We know he's a very, very good player. You know, we 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 bought him because he was a a good player, but he's you know he's done nothing for eighteen months. We look at Mares, uh, occasional flashes of brilliance, but done nothing. Um, you know, you look at one or two other players who, um, you know, Rodri's not really. Uh, I I don't have a problem with Rodri particularly. He's not Fernandinho, but then no one is. <laughs> um, you know, he is what he is, but he's not developing as a player. Um, uh, and and th- that kind of worries me slightly. Uh, so I- I've got to trust that Pep has got the fire in his belly to um, to do the job, and he's not just doing it because oh you know I'll give it another couple of years. I-, I-, I hope I hope he's doing it to actually rebuild the squad. I mean he's been at City longer than he's been anywhere now. Um, 
you say he's never rebuilt a team from scratch. So I hope that's what he's going to do. And I hope he's got the fire in his belly and I hope he can inspire the players because um, we've all seen, uh, you know, there's been a few, very few exceptions. Um, obviously, Ferguson is the, ex- is, is the main one. Um, Arsene Wenger, to, to a large degree, was another one. Managers who can outlast that cycle of one or maybe two teams. Um, Ferguson did it time and time again. Wenger did it, although increasingly less successfully, I think. Um, but managers tend to have a lifespan uh, at a team. Uh, and I always compare it to Peter Reid, uh, who, who came in, did a great job. You know, we, it wasn't pretty, him and Sam Ellis. You know, they weren't playing Pep Guardiola sophisticated football. But um, he got the players playing and he got a team together, which, you know, we, we finished top six two years running. And then I, I think the, uh, I suspect Peter Reid was a very much um, uh, an Ephraim blinder of a manager, you know, who, who would be quite aggressive with the players. Obviously, you know, take them out for a few drinks, do some bonding, but be quite aggressive with the players and make them fear him a little. But that fear wears off. Uh, and I think a lot of managers, the majority of managers, get to a point maybe three, four years in where they lack the ability or the, well, not the lack the ability, but, you know, it's not, there's not the same rapport or the same relationship uh, with the players. Maybe the players aren't listening to them anymore. Maybe they've just, um, you know, the, 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 the technique of um, making players fear you a bit has worn off and players realise actually, you know, um, they don't need to fear you. I don't know what it is. I think it would be different for many different managers, but um, I, I'm hoping that Pep hasn't got to that point. But you know, on Saturday, uh, I think Ray said as well it, a particularly galling defeat. I was, I, you know, when you watch it on TV, I always say um, it's kind of two different emotions. Uh, when you're at the game, you can take a defeat in your stride a bit better because you've got people around you. You're all moaning. People are laughing at you for moaning. When you watch it on TV, and it's just you. You do tend to take things a bit more uh, to heart, I think, because you haven't got, um, you know, you haven't got that, that whole group around you, um, and you haven't had the day out because mm-hmm. football's about the day out. I think you know watching on TV does make you more um, emotive about the game. It does make does make it more emotive, and I think a lot of people are in the, the same situation on Saturday, uh, questioning whether we've done the right thing. Um, I say tonight, I thought we looked. Cautiously optimistic that we looked to be getting back to our best of moving the ball quickly, picking the first half. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, the, the thing it's is, it's going to be interesting to see. But some players, I think, there's some players, if Pep's staying, uh, and, and you know, sometimes I think players think, oh, well, he's going in a year. I don't need to bother. You know, I'll I'll save it for the next guy. No, knowing he's staying, be interesting to see the reaction from some players. And I think if you don't get a reaction, then um, I don't care who you are. Um, you're up for sale. Yeah. What worries me is against Spurs, we had 20 shots. 20 shots. Um, and <laughs> did we test nothing. Lloris in any no. of those? There was there was a, 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 one in injury time where there was, we had a Diaz had a header, I think, and he went straight into Lloris. We didn't test him at all. Tonight, 20 shots. So we, we won 1-0 against Olympiacos. We had much better chances. We should have scored more. But th- what worries me is, and it, it's one of these where I always say it's a fine line between being a genius and being an idiot, okay? And Pep always uh, walks along that line. And sometimes, and we've been fortunate that most of the time he's been on the side of genius, but sometimes he, he goes on the side of a fool. Um, you know, when suddenly we start pumping in high crosses and do 20-odd crosses, high crosses in a game for Sergio Aguero in the box, you know there's no plan B. You know they're just hitting and hoping. Uh, and uh, you know, so what worries me is that first season with Pep, people said it's not working, it's not going to work. Pep said Pep stuck to his guns, and you know we saw what happened after that. The worry is what, we're seeing things not working again, and the concern is it's happening again and again. It's happening time and again against Spurs. I saw um, a, a map of where the average positions of the players were. We were very narrow, very narrow. That made it easy for Spurs to deal with us. When, there was a, and I saw a map when we beat them a, um, a few seasons ago, 4 1. Our fullbacks were on the line, were on the, uh, basically on the um, uh, like wingers, but they were really wide. They were t- on the touchline. Our wingers were further down the pitch, 
on the touchline. We spread the play. When you spread the play, the defenders ha have to come out to the um, uh, uh, the winger or the fullback, and that creates space for people like David Silva, KDB, and others to, to sneak into. When you start compressing it and playing narrow, which is what we were doing, you know, with these inverted wingers, they keep cutting in, so they narrow the the play. You had Cancelo. Cancelo wasn't playing left back uh, against Spurs; he was playing mid midfield. So once you start compressing everything, it makes it, I think, far easier for teams to deal with us in an advanced area. And 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 I'm frustrated. That's the politest word I can use at Pep's whinging. His complaints, his complaints about um, the number of injuries or the number of games people have to play and, and turn around and say, well, Kevin De Bruyne, you know, he had no rest in the summer um, and he's had no pre-season and he's had a new baby uh, and he's playing too much. He's going to get injured. Uh, sorry, Pep, you played him in the Carabao Cup. You give that a high prominence. You played him in the two rounds of the Carabao Cup. Now, one, I think he came on as a sub and the other one he started. Why? Give him a rest. You can't on one hand complain, or we haven't got five subs, complains Pep. Well, Pep, the, the game that you complained in the press conference afterwards that we, we're not allowed five subs, you use one sub. Stop whinging about it. Stop complaining. And the last point, this, now this is my rantathon. Why on earth was Sergio Guerra on the bench against um, Spurs? I, I accept he's not fit enough to start the game. Why on earth was he on the bench at all? Because we were losing that game. We needed goals. Uh, we had the subs, we could make them, and Sergio Aguero didn't come off the bench. So if he's not, in my opinion, if he's not fit enough to come off the bench, why is he on the bench in the first place? Give somebody else a chance, maybe give some kids a chance. And low, low as I am to, to um, commend Liverpool, Liverpool looked at their Champions League game tonight. They're on nine points, okay? They need one more win to qualify from the group. They played with only four or five first-teamers. They've changed their team around. Um, left a lot of players out. Left some big players in, like um, Salah. They lost beat two 0 though. <laughs> Sorry, they lost. They beat but doesn't matter, Mike. Just doesn't get matter. Through. That's true. That's true. They're going to get through the Champions League. They've said we have three games to get three points in the Champions League. Okay, and we got Midgetland. Is it no, not Midgetland? Is it Midgetland? We got one team that's there just for the for the for the for the kicks. They're going to get absolutely pummeling. So we're not we're not worried. Okay, if we have to turn it on, we'll turn it on. But so they, they started with only four or five first teamers, whereas we're going into this game. And, and I said before the game, we've got Edison. Why is Edison starting? Why can't Zach Stefan start? Why are we getting too many first team players that we want for the game against Burnley starting? Where in all reality, our Champions League, we should not even be thinking about Champions League till February. And we're putting out a pretty strong team tonight instead of saving them for the weekend. Right well, now, well, we've got almost a month where. We've got two Champions League games. We shouldn't even be bothered about that. We should be totally focused on the league because, you know, whilst Pep's um, looking the other way, looking at the Champions League or whatever, we, we're falling behind in the league. We should be focused 100% on the league, our best teams in the league. We've got one Carabao Cup game quarterfinal just before Christmas. Focus on that as well because the semifinals are in, uh, I think, January. And this two, it's two-legged affair if, uh, if I'm... Right, I think it's still a two-legged affair. And City will beat most teams over two legs. So focus on what's important. Right now, we're, we're dropping down the table. It's the league that's important. And give some kids a chance. And, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll commend Klopp for that because he's rested his important players. He's given some kids a chance and to see what they're like. They lost the game against a good Atlanta side, but they've got two more games to qualify. And it's the same with City. I don't know why we could have done the same. Um, we're never going to find out what these kids are like, really. You know, bringing Tommy Doyle on um, for four minutes plus um, uh, added on time. You know, we're not going to find out anything about him. Okay, it's great that, to uh, that Tommy Doyle had a game today on uh, his grandfather's birthday. It would have been his gran uh, grandfather Mike Doyle's, I think, seventy fourth birthday today. That sadly passed away. Um, so you know, it's, it's nice for the kid and on all that. But surely we can put kids on for a little bit longer so I'm yes I am frustrated with some of the decisions Pep makes I'm not a coach so I'm not coming in there with any uh, any real authority but just looking uh, looking at it uh, as a fan as a concerned uh, genuine fan I am concerned that we're making the same mistakes I want to see uh, a light at the end of the tunnel and right now I can't see that yeah um Colin it's just uh, this is the thing that I think that um that is 
a little bit galling for for uh, most city uh, supporters is that Pep has got tactical flexibility within a game, but the system of both inverted fullbacks and inverted uh, f- uh, wide forwards is uh, is not working out. It's compressing the play, uh, as Ray said, and he's he's a real stubborn piece of work, isn't he, <laughs> Pep? Yeah, um, certainly the inverted wingers, because um, when we've been most successful, we have people like Starne, uh, Sane and Sterling out wide. We've had the ball kind of, you know, to the right or to the left, and um, we've fashioned a space uh, inside the uh, opposition fullback. And, and that, that for me, has been our trademark. If you, you know, if you look back to the 6-1 at Old Trafford, you know, I think the first couple of goals were of, of that sort of type. Where you know we've played the ball in either um, out to to a winger who's wide or or kind of straight in to someone who's running in on on the diagonal, and we've been so successful using that. Yet the inverted wingers and Mares again, we're back to Mares. This we know what he's going to do. He's going to pick up the ball. He's going to come inside and narrow the play. And we're making it so easy for for teams to play against us. And um, you know. I, 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 all right, you can you can perhaps say that teams maybe have worked out how to play against our classic style, but you no, know, it, it still works, and and um, it, it is very frustrating. Yeah, yeah you know, and, and again, when you look at the the, the so-called inverted fullbacks, and you see uh, again for that Spurs second goal, Walker was along with Gabriel Jesus, highest player up the pitch when we lost that ball, and of course he was nowhere in sight. When um when the ball came back and um you know we've already tried you know Cancelo in midfield I think he's a great player Cancelo but you, you know uh, who's picking up that left hand side uh, and we saw it again with that with that first goal first goal particularly the goal that was disallowed it is you know we haven't got the organisation to to cope so either we should play three at the back and keep three at the back or um you know I don't know and, and perhaps we're missing Fernandinho a little bit who's, you know, unparalleled ability to spot danger and break it up um, helps as well. I don't know. But, yeah, I, see, this is why I'm, I'm a bit fearful about um, the, the two-year contract extension. And, and let me say, we'll never get a better manager than Pep. Pep must be one of the greatest managers of the modern era. We'll never get a better manager. But sometimes you need someone to just to freshen it up a little bit. And, again, this whole thing, he seems to be persisting with ideas that aren't that, that that we can patently see aren't working. So I hope we get it right. Obviously, I hope we get it right. I hope we go back to being the ruthless team um, we have been. And uh, but uh, like Ray, I'm worried at the moment. Yeah, Ray, it's it's quite interesting because in former times, um, if you look at the string of fixtures that City have coming up, you would you know you'd be licking your lips and thinking, right here we go, we're going to go on a run here. Um, you don't really quite have that confidence this time, do you? But it, it does seem to be beginning with Burnley, um, a string of very winnable games. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, Mike. You know, in, in we've got Burnley, we've got uh, Porto. Or that's that's probably the, a, a tougher one. Um, but we, we've got Fulham after that as well, um, and, and then uh, we'll have uh, Marseille as well. So you, you, you know, in, in days gone by, your years gone by. We'd say that's four wins. There's no question about that. There's nothing else but four wins there. Um, and then we've got um, the dirty one at Ma- uh, we've got Man United, haven't we? So we look at the, the games that are coming up. Generally, they're easy because you got, not easy, but you know what you know what I mean. We got Man United. Then we got West Brom. Uh, we'll have a tough game away at Southampton. Then they got the uh, um, Carabao Cup quarterfinal against Arsenal. That's going to be tough. You, you know, you'd look at games like uh, on Boxing Day against Newcastle. You'd think we've got that. Everton, in seasons gone by, we'd expect to have a tough game, but we'll come away with three points. So I'm looking at all those games. I'm thinking, you know, in our next six or seven league games, we've got, I think, two tough ones uh, in Man United and Southampton. But we've got also about, far, about five uh, eminently winnable games against teams like Burnley, Fulham, West Brom. Uh, and Newcastle. Um, so, and, and to be honest, if we want to win anything, if we want to have a chance in the league, we're going to have to start beating the top teams. You know, if you look at um, the teams that we played at the top and what the, what's happened, I mean, um, Spurs have beaten us, uh, and Liverpool, we drew with them. But that, that's got to be a concern that 
you know, Leicester up at the top of the table. They look at the way Leicester spanked us, and look at the the way Liverpool played against Leicester with a few of their uh, top players missing. You know, no Van Dijk. They're playing with a uh, midfielder in defence. Uh, no um, Trent Alexander-Arnold. No uh, Mohamed Salah. No Jordan Henderson. So you you, you take away about four or five of their uh, important players, and they they, they smash Leicester three 0 and Leicester were, were never in that game. So you know, there's a different level, uh, and City fans don't want to acknowledge it and admit it. But right now, Liverpool are, are miles clear of City, miles clear. And my concern is, I, I, I can't see us, I can't see us pulling that back. I really can't see us pulling that back. I think at best we are now a very good team, a team that will get eighty to eighty-five points a season if we're doing, you know. But that's not enough. If Liverpool are putting in ninety to ninety-five point seasons. We ain't going to win the league, and fans have to uh, accept that, and 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 the board have to accept that as well. That you know you've got to say if Pep can't get back into the ninety plus range, ninety five points a season range, is it time for a change? And I'm not asking for a change, but you've got to ask yourself: Can Pep do that? Because last season we struggled like mad. We're going to struggle to get ninety points this season. Is he ever going to get? But you know, I don't think he's ever going to scale those heights again. And that's what you need. You need somebody who can scale those heights. Yeah, the 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 one thing that gives me a, a little bit of comfort is that um, in terms of the title race, Liverpool have conceded sixteen goals, and um, the teams above us. If if you're taking a look at the the league team table, I mean, a lot of the teams above us have lost three and four times. Arsenal have lost four, Crystal Palace four, United three, Wolves three, West Ham three, Villa three, Everton three. You've even got Leicester, who are in fourth, have lost uh, uh, three games. So this is all mitigated by the fact that a lot of those teams have played an extra game. But um, I'm not quite sure that Liverpool are going to be the, the machine that they were um, for the last uh, two seasons. It's this well, one I, I, sort of tiny point. But... No, take out, take out that, that game against Villa, which is, we'll all say is an abnormal result. They still let a lot of goals in. They're letting a goal a game. That's still nine goals. Um, if you take the Villa results out, it's still a lot. But it's still it would be the best uh, defensive record in the league if you took that Villa game out. So, I, I, you know, I, they might not be a machine, but they, you know, if you look at some of the the league results, they're still a bit of a machine. They're still, you know, the top three have only lost one game, and we've already lost three. Uh, sorry, two. Um, but they're winning games. And, and this is another big thing. Last season, City basically won or lost. That's it. I think we had three draws in the whole season. We either won or lost. And we only lost, I think, nine games in the league only. Um, this season, we've already drawn three games. We've already drawn three games. So, you know, it, it's it, it's a worry. And, and and throw on top of that, the the number of big chances we've created is not worth writing home about. You know, forget about goal scored. We've created something like 12 big chances in eight games. Eight, something like that. Harry Kane has done that on his own. You know, Liverpool have created 33 big chances in games so far. Um, Spurs have created something like um, 29. And City have got, created 12 big chances. That's one and a half per game. Um, so there's got you've got to be concerned you know, that Pep's still banging his head uh, against the door, but he's changed some things which I don't think have worked. But he still wants to do it his way, um, and he's got the record of having done it once before. So that's why people stay quiet. But at, at what point do you start questioning it? At what point do you say this isn't working? You know, um, and uh, what point do you, do, do, do you say we need to look somewhere else? It, it's really tough. It's really tough because you're always hoping that it, you know it, it goes back to the way it was. But you can't just keep going along blindly, um, season after season. And and you got to remember, we've got in the in the last three seasons, we spent a lot of money. It's not just about how much we spent, but we've bought supposedly top players who, for me, haven't worked, like Mares, like Rodri. Uh, I don't think either of them have worked. Um, and so the players we've got, and I've, I've said this before, we've not been buying first team players. We've been buying squad players. Other teams are buying new first-team players, and then pushing their old first-team players to squad players. So they're they're, in, they're improving their first team and their squad, whereas we're just incre- improving our squad by getting someone like Con- Concello 
Okay, now he's actually proven his worth. But getting someone like Rodri, I don't think that's improved our team. I think it's helped us to go backwards. Um, so there's lots and lots to think about, you know, about what Pep is going to do going forwards. But he's going to have to start doing it very quickly. And, you know, and, and as I said, he can't keep, you know, he should just say it is what it is. Stop complaining about anything. It's in his hands. He's, you know, everybody's fit apart from Nathan Aki at the moment. So I, I don't think there's any excuses anymore. Well, let's try to finish on a on a positive note, guys. I think we've uh, we're over the hour mark na- now, and um, we need to sort of bring this to a head. But um, as I mentioned before, um, a string of very winnable results, um, and let's just hope that City can recover that that clinical edge. This really is the thing, guys, and, uh, and we all know it. We're just so blunt um, up front, and um, hopefully, um, just clutching at whatever straws I can here. Obviously got a little bit of time on the pitch for Sergio Aguero uh, in the game against Olympiacos. So um, unfortunately it does take him, it usually does take him a few games to get back in his stride. And um, let's hope that he can do that as as soon as possible. So Ray, thank you very much for coming on. Always a pleasure, Mike. Always a pleasure. And the same to you, Colin. And likewise. Thank you guys for listening. Um, we'll be back uh, pretty shortly after the next game. Until then, you've been listening to the Bolt from the Blue podcast. So have one on us and up the blues.